All right, so today we're beginning a series that will lead us up to Easter called The Chosen. And I want to talk with you today about this. Here's what we're going to talk about today. He chose you. He chose you. So to start off this morning, I want to show you a few minutes of video from The Chosen uh, series. If you've, Some of you have been watching this and some of you have been asking a lot of questions about it. Um, hopefully this series is not a long series, uh, but anytime you have a question, I'd love to answer questions if I have an answer, uh, but feel free to reach out to me. But I hope that this will answer some of the questions about that. And uh, please know that at the beginning of this, this uh, television series called The Chosen, there is a statement that is, that is made that's very clear, and I hope that you will appreciate this. Um, uh, let me read this statement so that you understand at least this is, the, uh, this is what these people's intentions are when they put this together. The Chosen is based on the true stories of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Some locations and timelines have been combined or condensed, Backstories and some characters or dialogue have been added. However, all biblical and historical context and any artistic imagination are designed to support the truth and intention of the scriptures. And I love this part. Viewers are encouraged to read the Gospels. So please understand that TV series is meant to put you towards the Bible. Okay, it's meant to push you towards the Bible. So that you will truly look and see what the Bible has to say about these things. Yes, there are backstories that have been created. It, it reminds me of the stories that Jesus would use. The parables that Jesus would tell. That weren't true stories, some of them. But they were life stories of a lot of people. We all connected with those stories that Jesus told. And that's how these stories are put together. But then when it comes to the stories that are absolutely in Scripture... They use scripture and they many times quote scripture. So it's pretty awesome to see that stuff. Just gives us a visual of it. And so I wanted to show a clip this morning. This clip is from John chapter 2, uh, where Jesus has, is starting his ministry, actually. He's, he's already started gathering some disciples. And this is at the wedding of Cana. And Jesus has not gone public yet with his ministry, all right? So it's just a, just a few minutes of it. And I hope this will give you a taste of where we're going today. All right. sits before you. <laughs> to be a child again, yes? Mm -hmm. I think we are the lucky ones. They have to go home with their parents tonight. We get to stay with him and his mother. Where will that be? Who knows? With him, I have learned to stop worrying about those things. I haven't. It's cold in this region. Do you think he would let you freeze? My brother has many worries. I keep reminding him of when our Abba taught us how to fish. 
We just sat there and watched until we became fishermen. Mm. We will watch him. And watch and watch and watch. Forever, I think. I'm going to get more wine. <laughs> get two. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm here. It's usually the students that choose the rabbi, not the other way around. And I'm not even a student. Neither was I. Thaddeus introduced me to him. How did you meet? <laughs> On a uh, construction job in Bethsaida. He hasn't exactly been picking the best and brightest students. <laughs> Wait, he works? Well, until recently. He's not a professional rabbi. Yeah, but I thought he has no home and no job. No permanent home. He's a stonemason. Like you. A craftsman. He taught as well. He asked me to follow him. He said he was building a kingdom. A fortress stronger than stone. I believed him. What were you building in Bethsaida? <laughs> uh, uh, a public community. An aqueduct. No, of a... something, uh... humbler. What then, man? It's, it's not proper to say in front of a woman. I have seen and heard things that would turn your blood to ice. A latrine? <laughs> Wait... ice? Yes. Our master building a privy. A job <laughs> is a job. I've, I was cutting stone for the retaining wall. He, he was building a ramp of cedar planks, so the crippled and the elderly could get to it without climbing the steep steps. But why didn't he heal them so they could mount the steps themselves? He's always saying his time has not yet come. Calling your name, the catch of the fish. Why was it his time for miracles then and not others? Because those were private. He, he hasn't shown his signs to, to others publicly yet. What's keeping him from making his ministry public? The wind blows to the south or to the east, and you cannot say why. <laughs> A latrine. <laughs> yeah, we better not spread that around. He doesn't hide where he's from. Oh. Don't tell Andrew. That room. Yeah, he'll be surprised. <laughs> and now, friends, the dance of Miriam. Thomas, talk to me. All right. Hey, before we go any farther, uh, Connie and Harvey's son was just involved in a bad accident, and he's been taken to the hospital. Let's pray for the, him right now. Father, we pray for Benjamin, and we thank you that you're reaching down into his life right now, and we thank you for his life. We believe you for your protection and healing upon him. And peace for Connie and Harvey as they're going to the hospital and all of their family. In Jesus' name, do we agree together? Amen. Amen. Okay. Sorry, it's hard to move forward after that. All right, Father, we thank you for his healing. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Peace in their hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, so the clip that I just showed you is connected to when Jesus was at the wedding in Cana, as I said. He was about 30 years old. And at this point, he has chosen some of the disciples to be there with him, including you saw Mary Magdalene. She was the lady at the table. And this video shows things that we know to be true about Jesus, doesn't it? Like he was sitting over there with the children, playing with the kids. That's something that we know to be true about Jesus, hanging out with the kids. And the concept that Peter stated here, did you pick up on it when he said, you know, normally the students choose the teacher, but in this case, the teacher is choosing the students. I thought that was really interesting. And there's one other thing that, that they touch on here that we're going to talk about as well today, and that is the timing of Jesus. This was a theme all throughout, especially the book of John, understanding that there was a timing involved in when Jesus was here. You see, Jesus is quoted in many places as having a schedule that he's on. And in this story, his mother Mary, if, if you read the rest of the story, his mother Mary alludes, or he, he, he alludes to it with his mother Mary. And why? Because she was in a panic. She came to Jesus and she said, they have no more wine. And we saw at the end of that where he was scraping the bottom of the barrel, you know, there was no more wine. And you got to understand in their culture, this would be a disgrace if they ran out of wine at a wedding party. Complete disgrace. And Mary tells Jesus they've got no more wine. And he says, woman, why do you involve me? And then he says this, my hour has not yet come. In other words, they're up the creek. This is their problem, not mine. I have a more important agenda to deal with, and I'm on a timeline that needs to be kept in order for me to fulfill what I'm supposed to fulfill. And, and his mother turned to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you, and she walks away. Anybody know a mom like that? She just, she just completely, over, and you know, all of heaven was like, whoa, wait a second. All right, now we got to shuffle some things around. Jesus might break the time schedule that he's on. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit who, who orchestrated a lot of the events to make sure everything happened just at the right time and everything just got changed. The point is this, Jesus understood he was on a schedule. He made it clear to all of his followers that he was on a schedule. There was timing involved in everything that he did. There was another time in John chapter 7 that Jesus was talking to his brothers and his brothers were making fun of him. His brothers were laughing about him. And the truth of the matter is they were envious of his popularity. They were acting like Jesus was being dramatic. And they were, they were acting like Jesus was taking himself way too seriously. And so they were laughing at him. They thought he was funny. Jesus told them this. He said, look, my time has not yet come, not here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. So Jesus was saying, I know that I'm on a schedule. This is a very serious thing. I'm not making this up. This is very important. Jesus knew that. And he contrasted his life with that of the disciples. What did he say? He said, look, any time is good for you. But I have to be on a schedule. 
you don't have the purpose in life yet that God wants to give you. And you're not on some kind of a schedule. But I am. I have a reason for being here and I have a specific deadline in my life. And he also said this. He said, part of the problem here is that the world is going to hate me. And if I get the world to hate me too soon, this timeline is going to get is going to get messed up. Why would the world hate him? He's Jesus. He's all loving. He's all kind. He's all good, right? Why would the world hate him? Because he said, I expose the works of the world and I say that the things of the world are evil and the people don't like that. It's kind of interesting. Things don't really change, do they? You know, John the Baptist was beheaded because he was he said that Herod's sexual activity was sin. He was beheaded for that. That's a problem, isn't it? And, and for us, we've got to understand that that this is the world that we live in. And it's the same world Jesus lived in. People are furious with Jesus and his followers to this day. And many have fallen away from him. Even whole churches or even whole denominations have fallen away from him. Why? Because they have taken up religion and they left relationship behind. And listen, Jesus wasn't safe. He wasn't making a big deal out of nothing. This was a big deal and he wasn't taking himself too seriously. And when his brothers, James and Joseph, these were his half brothers, James, Joseph, Simon and Judas or Jude, these guys and his sisters, he had some half sisters too. Mark chapter six, verse three refers to them. Jesus had half brothers and sisters. I hate that we don't know his sisters names, but he had half brothers and half sisters. And these guys, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They, they laughed at him. They mocked him. But look what happened after Jesus raised from the dead. We have James writing a book that was included in the New Testament as an inspired work of God. Jude wrote a book that was considered inspired and written by God. Isn't that awesome? And here's how they started it. These guys that used to make fun of Jesus. James started his book with this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, and the brother of Jesus Christ. And Jude started his book the same exact way. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Didn't see themselves as even worthy to be counted as the brother of Jesus. And weren't going to use that title. I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. The one that I used to make fun of. Pretty awesome. You see, Jesus was surrounded by doubters. And these were guys that doubted but now believed. And Jesus was always surrounded by doubters. And, and the truth is. He knew that men and women were full of pride, disillusionment, doubt, and anger. And he wanted to give you and me all of the information that we needed to know to be able to put our trust in him. So Jesus wanted to give us all that information that we could possibly know so that we could put our trust in him. But some people don't want to hear it. No matter how much information you give them, no matter how much proof you give them, they're just not going to hear it. Chad was in uh, Delhi the other day. The Lord told him to go get some meat, apparently. And uh, he didn't know it, but he was at Tom Thumb. And God was calling a man that worked there to come closer to him. How do we know that? Because God sent Chad to him. And the man started talking while he's doing whatever he was getting for Chad. He started talking. I can't sleep. 
I, I only got like four hours of sleep last night. So Chad saw this as an opportunity. God began to speak to him, right? And he asked the man, do you mind if I pray for you? And the guy's face changed and he stared at him and he said, no. But guess who walked out of the Tom Thumb walking on cloud nine that day? Because he did what God told him to do. And that's what we do. But some people don't want to hear it. And here's the truth. God is reaching out to that man. God loves that man. And God has chosen that man. It's awesome. But the question is, will that man choose God? And that's when salvation happens. You see, God has chosen all of us. He's chosen you. The question is, do you choose him? I was talking to a guy one day and he was, was telling him about God's love for him and how valuable he is to God. And he, he looked at me and he said, you know, and he thought he was speaking in humility. He said, you know what? If God loves me, then I don't respect him at all. That sounds very humble, doesn't it? But how prideful is it to say, you know what? The blood of Jesus Christ might be great for the rest of the world, but I'm too bad. I am just too bad for God's blood to be good enough for me. You see, what he doesn't know, and even, even though I tried to tell him, is that if he would turn all of the bad that he's caused and all of the pain that he's done and all of the dark drunkenness and adultery and his anger in his life, if he'd turn all of that over to Jesus, God would take that and make it into something great. And that's what God has done for all of you and for me. Amen. Jesus can turn it into something useful and meaningful in his kingdom. But pride says, no, I'm too bad for Jesus. I'm so bad that God would never choose me. Well, too late. God already chose you. Should I say that again? Too late. God already chose you. So the disciples and... Mary Magdalene. I mean, you got to understand, Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed when Jesus found her. She was demon-possessed. That's a bad woman. But Jesus chose her. That's awesome. The very fact that you're listening right now, today, you're seated here or you're listening at home, that your ears are capable of hearing these words that are being spoken. The very fact of that, it is God who put you in this position, drawing you to him. It's God that's doing that. And you may have thought, well, I came here by choice or someone made me come here or whatever. But it's God that chose you. And he chose you first. Jesus said this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's what Jesus said. So you're not here by accident. You're not here as some potential orphan. You're somebody that God wants to adopt into his kingdom. And draw you close to him and have that relationship with him. And the fact that you're here, it proves it. And you need to know, listen, this was God's big idea. 
God's big idea. That's what all of this kingdom stuff is. This is his big idea. This isn't just another man-made religion. It's way bigger than that. God took thousands of years, maybe even more than that, to put this together as it is to this day. You see, he was methodically weaving all the intricate details for thousands of years, bringing salvation to all of humankind. In fact, it was, it was before even our solar system was put into place that God had this in mind. This was his plan, that people would come into a relationship with him and actually get to know him and him live inside of us until finally we culminate into one glorious place in heaven and get to live with him forever. This is God's big idea. And, and you say, well, this is just another religion. It's just another man-made thing. People are trying to have a crutch in life. No, 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 no. It's way bigger than that. Way bigger. And we have the proof and we have the evidence of it. And in fact, and this is just one thing I want to give you today because I love it. I think it's fun. Um, I love when science and, 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 and faith are able to collide and be a part of each other. I love it. In fact, if science would get on the ball, they'd be a lot farther than they are right now because what God says is really what happened and where we are. But this is physical evidence. And you see, God set the moment, the motion of the stars and the planets and all of that. Before he did any of that, he had this plan. And here's evidence of it. But let me read the scripture first. The apostle Paul declared this in Ephesians chapter one. He said, for he chose us, he chose us all of us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. How do you become holy and blameless? Through Jesus, through the blood of Christ. Not by being good. We be good because we love Jesus. And look at this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. He decided if you guys want to get on this path, here's the destination. You get to be a child of God, a son and a daughter of God through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This makes God happy to the praise of his glorious grace, which has he has freely given us in the one he loves, who is Jesus. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. God's grace that he lavished on us. He didn't just trinkle it out, sprinkle it out. He lavished his grace on us, right? Uh, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Uh, look at that, the mystery of his will. That means it's something to figure out, right? According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So understand this. Paul says before the creation of the world, before any of this even existed, God had chosen you and me to have this relationship with him. And now understand, he's not talking as an Israelite here. He is writing this as a Christian, as somebody who has accepted Jesus into his life and realized this was God's plan. 
That's huge. And he says that Jesus chose us, all of us, in him before the creation of the world. And he calls this a mystery. What does that mean? It means it's something to figure out. It's something that for those who will, they will look at it and they will want to know what the truth is. What, what's he saying? You can put two and two together and get four. And if you want to figure this out, the mystery of God's will, you can do it. You can find the information. And, and so let me give you an illustration here. If you were an orphan, you've been alone for a long time, you grew up in our orphan, and you're wondering who your parents are, wondering, you know, do I have siblings out there? What happened? What, why am I an orphan? What happened with my parents? What was going on back then? I don't understand what happened. I, I would really love to have those answers. And suddenly one day someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'm your father. Come with me. Okay. What would you need to know? You'd want some evidence, wouldn't you? You'd want to know the answers to your questions, wouldn't you? Who are you? What happened? Where's mom? <laughs> right? What, do I have siblings? Would you believe him or would you just trust him? You'd know. You'd want to have these, the answer to these questions. What have you done to try to find me all these years? Where have you been all my life? I've been alone and I've been trying to figure my life out. Where are you? What are you trying to do here? I don't understand. Why are you coming into my life now? I don't know what's going on here. Have I been a concern of yours at all for the, throughout these years? And do I have siblings? Do I have family? Where's the evidence that you're my father? Where's the evidence that you truly want me as your son in your life or your daughter in your life? You got to understand this is what this book is. The answer to those questions in your life, because God, your true father has come to you and he's saying, I am your father and you have the opportunity to go back thousands of years and see the story of what he did to pursue you, to try to have a relationship with you. You got to understand that everything from Genesis to Revelation, you got Genesis, the beginning of life, you've got the flood, you've got the Tower of Babel, all of these stories, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nation of Israel, which exists to this very day, is here and it's evidence of his interaction with all of humanity. It's evidence of it, physical evidence. You've got uh, the slaves in Egypt. You remember that story and how they came out of Egypt and all of that is symbolic of uh, you and I coming into a new life with Christ. Then you've got King David. You've got the prophets in the Old Testament. You've got the temple. Then you come to the New Testament. You've got Jesus being born and Jesus being killed and Jesus raising from the dead. All of that is a story that is a beautiful tapestry of God reaching out and trying to come into your life and be a part of your life. You've got Christians for the last 2,000 years giving their lives for this same message and for God to be able to come into your life. You've got, you've got my wife and me, my late wife and me moving here like 15, 16 years ago to be a part of this community so that we could build a church and do what we've done here. You've got Jerry and Carol that have come and moved here. You've got Ken and Colette. You've got Wes and these people that have been here for years doing what, ta what it takes for you to be able to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got people all around you that are doing what it takes in your life to be a part of, of, of God's plan in your life. It's huge. All of it is the story of God choosing you so that maybe even today you could show up and say, you know what? 
He is my father. It's a story for thousands of years. It's evidence, physical evidence for thousands of years of God saying, I've been thinking about you all the time. And I know what's going on in your life. And I want you to know I've, I've seen it. I've been there and I'm your father. And I want you to accept me as yours. That's awesome. You see, God answered who he is. He explained where he's been. We've got it. All of it. He's given you all the story of what happened. And he explained why you've been a spiritual orphan. And he's put it on full display that he is trying to find you and wants to have that relationship with you. And God has shown that he's been greatly concerned about you. And he hasn't forgotten about you. And he does love you. And he cares about everything that's gone on in your life. And he'll be there for you. And it's time for you to be able to walk with him and trust him. It's a true story. And he did this even from the foundations of the world. And yes, you have siblings. And it's us. And you're not alone. You've been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God. James David, would you come? So the evidence is there. It's just a matter of accepting it, right? The mystery is solvable if you want to solve it. But you've got to lay down your need for your former life to be right. Because here's the truth, it's not. But your life in Christ, you can become right in Him. And the beauty of that is, you don't have to be right. You don't have to walk around trying to look right, trying to be right. What you do is you walk around saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, you made me right. You forgave me for all of my sin. You see, the evidence is there. What kind of evidence? Well, I, I love this one. This is the one I referred to earlier. It's one huge and glaring piece of evidence that absolutely proves that God planned this all before the foundations of the world were ever laid. On April 3rd, A.D. 33, from noon to three o'clock in the afternoon, something amazing happened in our world. You see, scientists today have the ability to take math and they created a simulated computer program that's capable of saying, all right, wherever we go in the solar system, we can pinpoint what everything looks like and where it would be at any given day or time. This is what it looked like standing in Bethlehem on this day and looking and seeing what the stars looked like and all of that, the starry skies and all the stuff that we, we understand our solar system to have. They can go to the moon and look and see what Earth looked like on a certain time at any time in history. Why? Because it's math. It's math. It's cold, hard facts, right? 
And what they did was they looked to see, was there a solar eclipse sometime around the time that Jesus would have died? Because that's what the story says. And when they rewound time, they found that on April 3rd, A.D. 33, from noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there was a solar eclipse and the earth was dark. Guess what day that happened to be on the Jewish calendar? Passover. Oh man, that's awesome. You can look it up and find it yourself. Matthew chapter 27, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, which means God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, ah, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Man, they just didn't get it. And when Jesus had cried out again and again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At, the mo at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. So what does this mean? It means that this moment in time was planned before God even set all of our solar system into place. God said, from noon to three o'clock on this day, my son will be hanging on the cross. And at three o'clock, he's going to pass away. Thousands of years. God had this planned so that you could be saved. That's awesome. Jesus chose when he would die. He was on a schedule. Because he knew. He knew what was coming. He was on a schedule. And your life is on a schedule too. Because you've accepted Christ into your life. You've got purpose. You've got meaning. If you have. And if not, here's the invitation. God says, I've already chosen you. Do you choose me? Will you love me? I already love you. You see, salvation is not, any, it's not about whether God loves you or not. That's been proven. That is fact. Salvation is about, do you love him? Do you love him? Will you give up anything in your life? Will you give up what you want? Will you give up your dreams and say, God, I want my life to turn over to you? Because it's, it, there's a difference between him being the Lord of your life and your Savior. You can make him your Savior. But have you made him Lord of your life? And that's when you say, God, I love you and I want you to, I want you to be my Lord. Would you bow your heads?
Have you chosen him? Today's the day of salvation for you to enter into his rest for the rest of your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us. And right now, hearts are turning towards you. And we know that your spirit is ready to fill their soul with life and peace and rest. We pray now, Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your peace as you enter into their lives, as they open their hearts to you. A new and fresh beginning. Your scripture says a new life burgeons for those who accept you. The old is passed away and all things become new. And I thank you, Father, for being true to your word. We love you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. your heads bowed and your eyes closed if you gave your heart to Christ today you chose to love him back just want to give you an opportunity to say yeah John that was me right where you're seated just look up at me until my eyes catch yours if that was you today this is your day of new beginning thank you thank you father thank you father in Jesus name